worst choice I could have made. It's three terrible women written in a terrible tense that in bad sentences. Ah! Fucking first person. So stupid. I can't write dialogue! It's not bad. It's bad. No. It's 20 pages of bullshit. That's, it's all bullshit. That's not accurate it's at all. It's so bad. No. Ah! <laughs> no, I know. I would laugh at me too. I'm a f You're fucking recording me. Let's not pretend. Let's just like break the fucking fourth wall, like, you know, out loud since I think it's so fucking smart to do it in my writing, which it isn't because it doesn't work. Mm. My deadline is in five days. I'm just sitting here with crystals in a ball laughing. <laughs> I'm never using first person. I'm not helping. No, you are. You are. You're lovely. Okay. Look, you are going to share your documents while I look for Chinese food. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast, where we present original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. As always, I am your host, Kim Maxwell, and the stories that you are about to hear were developed in my writing and performance workshop in Ventura County, California. A huge thank you to Kelly O'Mara for capturing Amanda Lezra's graduate school application meltdown on her iPhone. I hope you found Chinese food. Ugh. The meltdown, it happens to all of us. The doubt in what we're doing, why we're doing it, leaving us wondering if we should be doing it at all. It's the part of the creative process that I often refer to as hitting the wall. Sometimes it comes with a laugh. And sometimes it comes with tears, but it always comes with the opportunity to embrace the discomfort and doubt we are mired in and to use every single tool in our self-care toolbox to give us the courage and clarity to include every bit of the struggle in our work. For most of us, it is our least favorite part of the process, and it does seem to surprise us each and every time it happens. But what's in the way is the way. Oh, wall, you suck. But thank you for the clarity and humanity that you provide each and every time we hit you. Our first storyteller is the hilarious and talented Nora Crawford from the teen class. And when I go up to that stage, I walk past Taraji P. Henson, Martin Scorsese, and Eddie Redmayne, and then... Meryl fucking Streep hands me my Oscar! Oh my god, it was just, it was an incredible night. I mean, like, it, it didn't actually happen. But, you know, a girl can dream. Thank you so much for coming to the studio, my love. Thank you for having me. Can I ask you, with everything that's happening in your life as 
somebody who was going through school and looking at colleges. What brought you to class in the first place? Um, I needed an outlet, like a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Like I was going to therapy, but that wasn't enough. <laughs> so um, I just... Like, because creative writing is, like, my favorite thing in the world and acting. Mm -hmm. And then I heard about your class through Trudy. Mm -hmm. And, um... Who we're going to hear from a little later on. Yes. And I just... I don't know. I really just needed an outlet that was... Other than me just sobbing on the couch of my my therapist, I needed to, like, get it out artistically. What keeps you coming back? Um, well... You, and then all the, not to be all cheesy, um, but you and everyone, like that whole group of people and Mm -hmm. just like the environment because it's a super safe environment and it makes me feel like I'm not totally insane, even Mm -hmm. though I am, but not, you know, criminally, I guess. (laughs) But it's It's a very important distinction, Yeah, it just makes me feel a lot better about myself and how like weird I am. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it just makes me happy to like be alive I guess mm-hmm. so I'm going to actually then speak directly to uh, what you were just talking about which is your fellow ensemble mates I mean mm-hmm. there are a lot of incredibly talented writers and performers yeah. in that teen class mm-hmm. how does that inform your work does it inspire does it bring up competition does it do a little of both I mean I I feel like this is for everyone I always think that my Writing is the worst garbage on <laughs> the planet, mm-hmm. and I always compare myself to other people's pieces, mm-hmm. and I'll just get paranoid, like, thinking, oh, God, I'm just, you know, complaining too much, or I'll just—my mind's just stupid. Mm-hmm. But it—mainly it encourages me, and it inspires me because it just makes me want to be a better writer and to push myself. Mm-hmm. But sometimes—not that it gets competitive, but I think I just—in my head, I'm like, oh, God, like, this isn't as good as— so and so's, but I guess that kind of makes me really write truthfully instead of just trying, you know, yeah. like trying to get the to the depths of what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, has your process changed from the first class to now? Yeah, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started, uh, like my first time doing your class, I it was really easy for me. Well, not easy, but it was. A lot easier for me to get it out on paper and to actually write it, like, in the free rights. Mm-hmm. But this uh, last one, I, like, I'd sit down to do a free write, and I, I would just not, you know, you'd say, like, do word vomit or just start writing. And, like, don't think about it. Just start. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so what changed is that I realized you and I actually figured out that what probably needed to be done is that I needed to um, talk to you or like record myself on a device, Mm -hmm. um, so that I could actually just get it out verbally because I couldn't really get all my thoughts and my like words and my brain like out physically. Mm -hmm. So it felt good to actually like word vomit, um, Mm -hmm. and not with my hand, but like just with my words. So that, that changed because I used to be able to just sit down and write it, but it's like, this would not come out of me. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then the process of how you capture your material now has shifted to one that's verbal. Mm-hmm. Are you going to continue? Are you going to use that in the next session? I think so, because um, that seemed a little easier for me, because mm-hmm. um, I realized, I was like, oh, why haven't I been doing this the entire time? Um, mm-hmm. 
my, my one of my really close friends, Doug Motel, who was just here, mm-hmm. um, does almost his all of his one person show writing um, by voice recorder. Yeah, yeah, so. it's it's it's. I think it's an easier thing for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this next session, which is I'm so excited, it's starting on Wednesday. It is. Um, I'm. I think I'm gonna just keep doing what I've been doing, and if it changes again, then it changes changes again. But yeah, I think I'm going to continue doing the vocal recording and stuff. Good. So you've learned a little bit of flexibility and resiliency through how you used to do something mm-hmm. not working out for you and then having to find but that that you were propelled to still tell that story, so you found another way to do it. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. You're a badass. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of struggles, mm-hmm. um, the process of this is always a struggle. Mm-hmm. There's little victories. There's little deaths. Who inspires you to keep pushing through when it gets too tough to go it alone? Uh, oh, that's a that is a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably have to say, like all my close friends um, and my family, and like you and Kim's class, like your that whole teen group, because. Oftentimes I'll get confused. Um, I'll be like, oh, well, you know, what's keeping me here? I'll be like, well, okay, what am I doing this for? And it'll kind of just be hard to figure that out. And so I'll just start naming all the people I'm grateful for in my life. And then I realize, okay, well, that's who I'm doing it for. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's not only for myself, but it's for, like, other people, especially my friends who might be going through what I'm going through. So I, I think I just... I think I just try and remember, like, the people in my life that I'm grateful for, and then that helps me realize I'm like, oh, okay, well, I have to keep going, not just for me, but, like, for them, because, you know, I have to think about their feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Can't just all be selfish. <laughs> so now we're going to have a listen to your fabulous piece, A Few Things About Myself. Okay. You're not late. I just like to be everywhere a little early. You know, like five, ten, hour and fifteen minutes early. <laughs> it's a sign of respect being early because, yeah, because if you're ten minutes early, then I need to be thirty minutes early because I can't have you sitting here and watching me walk in and like looking at my legs. Not like looking at my legs like you're a perv or anything. Because <laughs> you're not a perv. Just as easily be looking at my ears because <laughs> they stick out. Um, but it's it's because I need to be sitting here, situated and looking all pretty, regular pretty though, not like I'm trying to look pretty pretty. <laughs> wow, first dates are so awkward, <laughs> so uncomfortable. You know first dates. <laughs> I mean. I know it's our first date, which is great. I appreciate it so much. (laughs) But this is my actual first date. You know, like, I've never been on a date before. I mean, I rarely leave my house. (laughs) You've been on one before, though, right? I mean, you look all confident like you have. (laughs) Does it get easier? First dates. (laughs) But, like... When? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't know what just came out of my mouth. Um, let's, let's just move on. I'm excited for this. <laughs> so let's get this party started. <laughs> so I'll just tell you a few things about myself. Yeah, okay. 
okay, great. Um, my therapist said I should just be myself. <laughs> be myself. <laughs> so I have a super small family. It's just me and my mom and my dad and a few uncles and a couple of grandparents. But I've always wanted to come from a big family or a bigger family with great food and one who always gets together for the holidays. You know, like a really fun and festive Italian family that talks about their feelings and laughs really loud and maybe they fight, but they sing Christmas karaoke and always make up. And like, it would be me and Uncle Tony singing Last Christmas by Wham. That would be my ideal Christmas. Sometimes I act it out in my bedroom. I play both parts. <laughs> Uncle Tony and me. And sometimes George Michael. <laughs> He's dead and that's sad, but I figure it's okay to have him there because it's a fantasy and all. <laughs> my therapist thinks it's really healthy that I act it out and I have such a creative mind and stuff. But he also thinks I have to be in the real world more. I mean, he thinks this date is progress. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> You're only as sick as your secrets. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that sure sounds more normal when your therapist says it. Um, well, sometimes I go from Uncle Tony and the big Italian family Christmas straight to the Met Gala in New York City. I like to pretend that I'm on Anna Wintour's personal guest list and that I've gotten invited to the Met three times. I was 21 when I first went and I was paid to wear a beautiful pink and white ruched floral maxi dress by Dolce & Gabbana. My date was Timothy Chalamet and we drank, we drank at least five Moscow mules with Anne Hathaway who totally wants to meet up for chai lattes when we get back to Ojai. I got asked by many interviewers and reporters about my dress, my dating life, which hopefully right now is blossoming. <laughs> my career, etc., etc. Speaking of being interviewed, I also do this funny thing where I pretend I'm on Ellen talking about how I was tipsy on the red carpet at one of the premieres of my movies. Um, or on Stephen Colbert, you know, talking about on-set shenanigans with the Avengers cast because I, in fact, landed the role of Black Widow when I was 19. <laughs> Suck on that, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Maybe on Graham Norton, sitting alongside Will Smith and Ryan Gosling, talking about my most embarrassing moments. <laughs> but that doesn't even compare to the Oscars. <laughs> Let me tell you. In 2016, I won Best Actress for my performance as Nadine in Edge of Seventeen. Picture it. I'm wearing an elegant, deep red, spaghetti strap, bodycon, shimmery Versace maxi dress <laughs> designed specifically by, for me by Donatella herself. My hair is curled loosely with two mini braids forming a crown around my head. My makeup is soft, yet bold. I'm thinking a glittery gold eyeshadow, false eyelashes to the max, and a bold red lip. And of course, some gold Versace platform pumps to add that sizzle. And when I go up to that stage, I walk past Taraji P. Henson, Martin Scorsese, and Eddie Redmayne, and then Meryl fucking Streep hands me my Oscar. Oh my God, it was just, it was an incredible night. I mean, like, it, it didn't actually happen. But, you know, a girl can dream and dream or, you know, blur the lines of reality and never stop dreaming. I mean, I'm not sad.
sad about it. No, no. Am I absolutely distraught and depressed that I'm not an award-winning actress right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> Am I totally stoked on being the most anxious 16-year-old in the world, living in Ojai, California with nothing to do except cry over my math homework and watch the pink moment and maybe get a little crazy and go to the Lavender Festival? <laughs> the entire time. Uh, I usually, when I start talking about this, I can't stop, and, but it feels really good to get it out. Woo! <laughs> I mean, it's super embarrassing to talk about, but it's one of the very best things I've found to help deal with my anxiety. And also when I'm in the middle of having my fifth existential crisis of the day. <laughs> because when I'm in my fantasy world, I can catch my breath and maybe get a glimpse of my future and maybe feel confident that I have somewhere that I'm going in life, that I have a purpose. I mean, whenever I'm anxious or bored, I pretend I'm doing something I hope to God I will be doing in the future because it makes me feel a little less alone because me alone with my thoughts is... <laughs> Ew. <laughs> but me with my thoughts mixed in with my fantasy world, well, um, you know, it makes it more manageable. I mean, the times when I go back into reality is when I feel overwhelmed and worried with the realization that none of it is actually happening and may never happen, so I have to go back to being a teen... I mean, I kind of live in the purgatory between both worlds. Well, honestly, I think that the amount of time I should be spending in the real world is how much I'm actually spending in my fantasy world. And it's like, slightly concerning, <laughs> but I mean, it provides me with the drive to keep moving forward, you know, and to keep following my dreams. When I'm acting, I never get anxious, and it's so refreshing and wonderful to not be anxious. To not feel like I'm dying or my entire body is shutting down or that nothing will ever be okay. I mean, I don't really care about the fame or money or awards. <laughs> the Met, I care like a little bit about. <laughs> but I truly do care about the craft of acting and performing and pouring my heart into something I love. And I'm still just 16 and my only jobs are to be in high school, finally start my driver's ed, and try to accept myself for the crazy bitch I am. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm still talking. <laughs> and you're still quiet. <laughs> well, obviously, I shouldn't have any more coffee. But, um, could I get you one? A Few Things About Myself was written and performed by Nora Crawford in December 2018. Okay, <laughs> so super funny, but it didn't necessarily start off as super funny. Right. Do you remember what the, like, what the genesis of it was? Where did this piece start? It, st it started with me realizing that about six or seven weeks into the class I didn't have anything mm -hmm. well you told me otherwise you were like well there's you know stuff in the free rights but I didn't believe you I like I did but I didn't because I didn't see anything you know mm -hmm. so it it just it started off as me thinking or you know me just saying Nora you have to get something done like you just have to get something on the paper so that's kind of how it started and then I was really obviously anxious so I wrote how I felt 
And at the time, I kind of liked this this guy, and I'd never been on a date before. I still have, I yeah, I still haven't even kissed anybody. It's just this <laughs> whole thing, and it's just like, it was just. It started off with me just going, like, well, what can I write about my life that's a little bit, you know, off the rails, I guess. <laughs> so, then, what made you decide to make the shift from sort of like, like this sort of, I guess, you know, anxiety of not being prepared, colliding with feeling like you didn't have anything to say? What made you take that sort of like heaviness and decide that the tone should be comedic? Well, because I naturally. Uh, write in a very comedic way that's just like how I'm most comfortable writing like I've you know I've talked about comparing yourself like I always compare myself to like the other kids in the teen class who can write like poetry basically you know <laughs> who are who say like this the sa- like the wind just blow through the hair like a scallion like I don't know like a just sc- scallion I meant like a stallion <laughs> or a green onion <laughs> or a st- <laughs> No, I'm going to just go with that. A scallion. But or like, maybe a nice little chive, I think, you know? Just finely chopped. Like on a baby potato. Maybe a bell pepper, you know? You branch out in that family tree. No. See, that, that's poetry right there, Nora Crawford. Thank you. You're welcome. I just, I just, I don't know, because I, I just can't, maybe, not yet, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to limit myself. But I just, I've never really been able to write very poetically like edward allen poe is that his name? yeah okay he's a dark boy edgar. yeah i've so i've always kind of just been a very funny person and that's how i t- if i'm uncomfortable or anxious or just sad i usually you know i use comedy to kind of mask that or to just get through it mm-hmm. so that's kind of how it became comedic because even though it was kind of like a it's not a super serious piece like really at all <laughs> But it, you know, it's hard, yeah. you know. Yeah. And but I think it's just made me feel better to m- make it funny because mm-hmm. then it made me just think like everything isn't too bad. Like it's fine. We can laugh. I've ever ever gonna laugh at this, you know. So, so uh, well, that brings me to my next question. What does um, comedy do for you in terms of pulling things out of the darkness or the heaviness or the trauma of the moment? Right. Well, um, I use. I use comedy for, like, everything. It's kind of like my emotional support um, animal. Like, if I had, you know, a service dog, it'd be just, like, probably John Mulaney stand-up. <laughs> and I... Nice. I Well, because usually my anxiety is the worst mm-hmm. at night. Um, I just get it every night right as the sun <laughs> goes down. It's, like, you know, awful. And so I when I'm anxious, I kind of feel, and although no one can, like, see this, like, I feel, like... N- so out of whack and like nothing Mm -hmm. is in control and I just feel so like I'm in a a frenzy so what I usually do is I well what I have to do um is I watch something that's that matches my level of like adrenaline Mm -hmm. um or just how I'm feeling and then it kind of it's like two negatives like it just maxes it out so yeah well then here's my next question because anxiety obviously has a profound effect on you. It mm-hmm. incapacitates you at mm-hmm. times, but it also happens to be a powerful source of creativity for you, like in this piece. Mm-hmm. It's the source material. <laughs> um, it also makes it really super relatable, relatable because most of us struggle with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your experience about expressing your struggles with anxiety in class and after the shows? What has been your experience of like 
feedback or or how how it's informed how you want to be in the world? Well, I used to be like ashamed of having anxiety. Like I thought there was something actually wrong with me and then mm-hmm. I just thought that everyone was going to judge me and that it was just something that if you had you're just the lowest of the low. Like you're the bottom of the food chain. Mm-hmm. So, I was super not wanting to talk about it in your class but then when I kind of just started because it just started naturally coming out like I didn't actively try and be like so I have anxiety and this is what I go through it kind of just started coming out and then every all the feedback was you know always obviously positive and all of that and it made me feel better because then some of my um, now really, really close friends in that class, they'd come up to me afterwards and be like, I go through the same thing. I totally understand what it's like. It's the worst. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just made me feel not so alone. And so then that made me feel better about talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, if you bottle it up, it's just not, It's <laughs> that's never the answer. It's an explosion to nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the worst thing you can do is just yeah. keep it inside. So I just kind of was like, oh, well, maybe... I can help myself and also help others by talking about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And what <clears throat> what other tools do you use? I mean, I know you go to the therapist, you come to class, you talk to your friends, you talk to your mom, you reach out, you don't isolate. But what other tools of self-care um, do you use for anxiety management? I mean, do you how do you keep yourself afloat? Um I well, when I'm I do a bunch of exercises. Um, I'm I'm trying to meditate, and I'm just, like, super impatient and very ADD. So, like, that hasn't been working out super well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually, um, I'll ground myself. Like, I'll just name stuff in the room, and then I'll name stuff that I'm, like, that I that's in reach. And then I'll name stuff that I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. And then also going on walks, definitely, and, like, breathing in and, like, you know, counting, like, inhaling counting to four and then exhaling counting like to six or whatever Mm -hmm. that helps um but you know taking my mind off something like off my brain so either watching something Mm -hmm. or just talking or like listening to a podcast even Mm -hmm. or recently actually i've kind of been getting into um into like car models like Mm -hmm. doing like a because noah who we all know and love Mm -hmm. he told me that he um you know started taking up more hobbies and that it helped him with his anxiety so Mm -hmm. i was like i'll try that i didn't know what to do i wanted to do knitting and then i went no i would not that would not work (laughs) out well so i just thought what do i love and i it's like well i like old cars so i'm you know i don't have the money for one like a real one so I was like, you know, I'll just get a model and build, like, my dream car. So I've kind of been working on that. Mm-hmm. And it just takes my mind off something. Mm. And it's like I can focus on something with my hands and, like, physically look at something that I'm doing and, like, seeing progress. Because often I won't see progress. Like, even if my therapist is like, you're fine. <laughs> you're going to be okay, kid. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. But thank mm-hmm. you. So it's like it helps me to kind of do something physical mm-hmm. because I'm all in my head all the time. So mm-hmm. if I do something that's like walking or doing model cars, it mm-hmm. helps. So, Wow. Well, what would you have to say to any young up-and-comers? We're starting a preteen class at the <gasps> studio. I know. Are? So there'll be, yeah, there'll be some young ones coming up. Oh, my gosh. Um, at some point in time, you're going to be moving on to the adult class and out of the teen class. What would you <sighs> say to... A young up-and-comer that is maybe afraid to put their voice out into the world um, 
for the first time because they have a lot of stuff going on. What would you say? Um, I would just say don't force yourself. Just show up and like feel the other energy of the room and just know that it's a safe space and like don't keep stuff in but don't feel like you have to be a total open book Mm -hmm. but just know that it's definitely a lifesaver like I don't know where the hell I would be without your class like I genuinely would be stuck in the fucking mud like I genuinely think that like I don't know where I would be so I just have faith in Kim's class <laughs> and the people around it and the energy because it's definitely like the one of the best things you could do if you're struggling with anything is to just get it out creatively or just to just to be around that you know mm-hmm. so just be scared but don't you know just be just be you be scared if that's what you are be anxious be that you know just be yourself but just know that you're not alone like you're not the only one who's struggling with that type of stuff and that it's just a safe environment and that nothing bad can happen to you in there and that everyone's gonna love and care about you in there so yeah oh miss nora (laughs) i think you are wildly talented and it has been delightful to share a microphone with you this afternoon thank you so much i feel so professional (laughs) and so cute and nice (laughs) Coming up. I signed a sacred contract maybe before birth and didn't read the fine print. Pre-life attorney. I think it may be contagious. All three of my dogs, anxiety. Trudy Froelich. When the Townies podcast continues. Hey Townies, it's your producer Lily Brown here coming at you live. Um, Please join us this summer in Monte Castello di Vibio, which is in Umbria, Italy. We're doing our first townies workshop abroad. I have been brushing up on my Italian. Io sono una mela. I am an apple. You're going to use that often. (laughs) È un uccello. It is a bird. La mosca è nel bicchiere. The fly is in the glass. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a blast. We're going to be doing two weeks of writing and performance workshop stuff, drinking wine, eating all the food, and it's going to be super fun. Uh, We're going to do a performance in a 400-year-old recently restored opera house, June 30th to July 15th. Learn more information at kimmaxwellstudio.com slash retreats. Io una fragola. I have a strawberry. (laughs) Hello, my name is Michael Jorgensen, and I wrote the song, What Do You Know About You? For my first solo album, which came out in 2009, the song itself is written probably in 2005 or 6, and it's supposed to be a somewhat silly song about self-reflection and self-examination and not taking yourself too terribly seriously. Stylistically, it owes a debt of gratitude to great piano players and songwriters like Leon Russell and Harry Nilsson, um, Randy Newman. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much. Your shoe. What do you think about you? 
Are you handsome or ugly like a fox or kangaroo? You think you got it pegged like the chicken lays the egg But you're wondering what you should do You are listening to Pronto and Michael Jorgensen with their track, What Do You Know About You, from the album All Is Golden. Well, I truth. know the truth. Truth, this is H. I came Snake. to see the mother of the groom. Oh, how are you doing? We were just talking after guys. Um, rumor has it that you happen to be the fabulous godparent to the brilliant Nora Crawford, whose story we just heard. I am. Oh, and, and? she is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh. Um. So you also, I think, how old were you? When you knew that you wanted to be a writer or an actor or a performer of some kind? I would say five years old. Really? Yes. And how did it, because we were talking about that with Nora earlier, how did it manifest for you? I found myself standing on tables and and performing in people's homes. Mm-hmm. Seriously. And, and, and ping pong tables and singing <laughs> and dancing and demanding a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Um particularly from adults, and that was one way in which I did it. And apparently it went very well, because here you are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where do you think that that desire to tell a story so young at five years old, where does that come from? I was dragged in and out of Broadway shows Mm -hmm. as a young child, very young. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to be on stage. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to sing with the performers and 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 tell my story and have my chorus backing me up saying mm-hmm. she was bad at math she was bad at math you know <laughs> and and be able to tell my story in a large beautiful beautiful deco theater in mm-hmm. New York um and I was encouraged to do that I went away to camp mm-hmm. and performed in a number of different plays in camp mm-hmm. um 
One that I remember in particular, when I was five years old, I missed the talent show assembly at my grade school. And the principal allowed me to get up by myself and to sing the song that I had planned to sing, which was My Homes in Montana. And much to my brother's chagrin, who were in some of the front rows, um, I got up there and sang with my glasses and my knobby knees and my cowboy boots and, and my hat, my homes in Montana. And it was that just that that inspired me to just want, the three clapping people i just knew there would be more in my future and was this the home in montana was this the brooklyn home or the long island home long island oh. long island absolutely um so do you have like a favorite broadway show is there one that just funny girl oh because because i just related to so much mm. of the character and and where she was from mm-hmm. and her obstacles and her lousy choices <laughs> and and the way that she so stoically got up and sang at the end of the movie mm-hmm. despite everything that had happened to her that she still found her voice and what is the best song from funny girl oh my man i love him so <laughs> Yes, we do. Um, so, uh, uh, the piece that we're going to hear very shortly is Little Bastard. Mm. Was there a prompt or an incident that inspired, because you've told a lot of stories in class, was there something that inspired this specific story? I think that most often when I have written and performed in your classes mm-hmm. starting in 2002, I always knew what I was going to write about. Mm-hmm. And in this particular class that I took with you, which was um, last year, I simply could not figure out what on earth I was going to pick up pen to paper to. I, I, I simply could not find it. And in fact, I didn't until probably five days before showtime. <laughs> and because of that, that became the theme of what I really needed to express because of everything that was kind of coming up around that decided, I decided that that absolutely had to be the topic. Mm. So with that said, I think we're just going to have a little listen to a little bastard. Yes, please. <laughs> I was given a rather unusual partner, gift. It was most uninvited, very insistent, and it would change my life forever. Sometimes it shows up unexpectedly, surprises, shocks, and then it just disappears. It can feel like a squatter on my sacred grounds. I think we bonded straight out of the chute right there at St. Joseph's Hospital. My first day of preschool, my first trip to the dentist's office, my first date, my first kiss. Yes, I should have closed my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) The birth of all three of my children, Eric, Nicolette, and Lucas, mama loves you. It went on every vacation, so big, too big for my perfect little pink plastic suitcase. 
I've shaken a fiery finger at it like Pele. I've carried it to yoga class. Deep breath in for four. Release for six. And it just hangs out there at the end of my breath. I've whispered to it like a tiny child begging, enough, stop. We've dialogued on long car trips, and I've asked when the uninvited elevated to stow away. It feels like a fist in the middle of my chest. It feels like shortness of breath. It feels like something is coming, and it's not an organic fruit tart with custard and graham cracker crust. (laughs) What is it? Are you still curious? Can you feel it? Because it's in the room right now. It's an equal opportunity employer. It's called, drumroll please, anxiety. It's the sidecar of my motorcycle that is capable of tipping me over in a heartbeat. It makes particularly powerful guest appearances at various airports, TSA lines. Beep, beep, beep. I've done soul retrieval. I've been attuned to Reiki. I've tracked the fractured parts of myself and ushered them safely home. And I've searched deeply in my meditation. I've sought relief on long, mindful walks in nature. And I've been here now. I've accepted it on my personal tour of my inner landscape. Cranial sacral past lives. Held space, argued with it, pleaded with it, kicked it out of the car, held it, tossed it, buried it with my right hand, bound it in my left hand, maining line into my nervous system. But no no matter what I did, it would always show back up. Is it a gift? Well, I didn't put it on my wish list. I signed a sacred contract maybe before birth and didn't read the fine print. Pre-life attorney? I think it may be contagious. All three of my dogs? Anxiety. (laughs) Rescue remedy for dogs? I wish I'd had stock. I wake up with it. I feed it. We have lunch together. I'm even starting to feel a little, ooh, I don't know almost comfortable with it. And then, on December 4th, 2017, my beautiful little town catches on fire. And as my friends and neighbors are evacuating and the sky is gray with ash, I realize that my insulation can't handle the heat and my personal thermometer just about bursts. I decide that it's time to stop whispering about it and start talking about it. I talk in a therapist's office. I talk about it with other people. I talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I'm shocked at just how many people can relate. I realize that I am not alone. In fact, I'm actually in really fine company. Lady Gaga, Mel Brooks, Barbara Streisand, Stephen Colbert, Abraham Lincoln, Emily Dickinson, and Hap Froelich, my father, surprise. (laughs) let's be frank hmm let's call my anxiety Frank he's been around long enough seems to me he deserves a name he's made me strong and resilient and relatable I I hear from him pretty much every day Frank the uninvited ooh free floating Frank I like that 
Now, I've made peace with Frank. I've given him a few boundaries. Frank is not allowed to drive. (laughs) Frank is not allowed to ride shotgun. Frank is belted securely in the back seat with the child door locks on. (laughs) But he still manages to chime in occasionally. Are you going to wear that? When are you starting your next novel? Still self-publishing? Hmm? Are you going to read this out loud in front of all of those people and your children? Oh, my God, you really should invite me. You're going to be up there all alone. (laughs) Yes, Frank. Yes, I am. Frankly, Frank has helped to make me pretty strong. Keeps me aware and in touch with some very subtle feelings. Oh, Frank is the gift that is best not to re-gift. He doesn't stay forever. He eats, he leaves. But me, I'm a survivor, and I live a deeply expressive, fulfilling life. I'm the bad nursery rhyme where the bow breaks and the cradle does fall, but the baby bounces inside a sparkling, lavender-scented, cobalt-blue bubble that can never be burst. Good night, Frank, you little bastard. (laughs) Little Bastard was written and performed by Trudy Froelich in November 2018. All right, townies, this is the part of the program where we invite you, our listeners, to take part in a free write. Today's prompt comes from MacArthur Genius Grant playwright Sam Hunter, and it goes a little something like this. What keeps me up at night is... And fill in the blank. Take five minutes or more, if you like, to keep your pen moving or your keys moving. Don't edit. Don't judge. Just keep going for the whole time. And be sure to type up whatever you write today because you just never know where it might go. (laughs) Miss Trudy, Miss Trudy. Anxiety? (laughs) Friend or foe? Both. (laughs) Let's talk when about- when it's not around. Uh-huh. It's a foe. Uh-huh. When it's around, you have to befriend it. Mhm. And in all of my reading about anxiety and also not having been able to identify it for so many years because mm. in Yiddish it's called spilkes, <laughs> which is the inability to kind of sit still and be at peace. Uh-huh. And Then I started reading about the power of now, and if you stay in the now, and you Mm -hmm. don't go forward into projection of the ifs and the ands and the whats, and you don't go backwards into the, God, I wish I hadn't have done that, you won't have anxiety. Mm -hmm. So mine started to come up merely thinking about the next time I was going to have anxiety. (laughs) Well, now, Nora... Yes. who we just heard from, yes. your fabulous and brilliant goddaughter. Yes. What advice, as she, you all have many things in common, not the least of which is anxiety, what advice would you share with her? Not to be overwhelmed when it presents itself. Mm. That she is still driving the vehicle, However, she has something either chatting in the back seat or possibly shotgun with her. Mm-hmm. And she has the ability to say, no, 
I'm not accepting that, Mm -hmm. or now you just be quiet, because (laughs) I have things to do, Mm -hmm. and one of them is not speaking with you any longer than this. (laughs) So how has this theme then surfaced in your other work, your other material? You know, it's very interesting. When I am up on stage, Mm -hmm. when it's, you know, showtime with your classes, Mm -hmm. I have absolutely none. So I would say that in the medical journals, mine would be (laughs) anticipatory anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then when confronted with whatever I have to deal with, Mm -hmm. not a problem whatsoever. Hmm. So to me... It requires a really deep trust of knowing that you're always going to be where you need to be and you will be able to show up mm-hmm. because I've proved it in your performances where a lot of people have tremendous stage anxiety. I mean, mm-hmm. I hear about this all the time, with, mm-hmm. you know, real professional performers. Um, that's not where mine shows up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. Hmm. And I think I've negotiated this turf since I'm a very little girl. <laughs> you had a bad case of the spilkes. Spilkes, yeah. <laughs> well, no one knew what it was. Aww. Well, you are one of my students that is working towards a full-length one-person show. Yes. When did you realize that you wanted to take all of these independent stories that you had crafted and put them into a full-length show? When you told me to. <laughs> No, I, 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 <laughs> I just felt as though there was a lot of material mm-hmm. and stories mm-hmm. that could benefit other people if they were told. Mm-hmm. Um, because we all look at other people's existences as, as so perfect, and mm-hmm. this, people, this person has this and has this and has this, and then when you really peel back a lot of the layers of the onion, Mm -hmm. and we come forward with the truth, Mm -hmm. it allows us to realize that we really have more in common. When I did that piece um, last year, I had a number of people come up to me that I knew in Ojai, but certainly not well, and they said to me, thank you. And I said, for what? They said, not only wouldn't I have thought that about you, Mm. but I didn't know that we had that in common. Mm. So I was really glad that I went, okay, well, this is about me, and I have to trust that it's time to speak about it. Mm-hmm. Oh. So over the course of our many years together, since 2002, is that right? That's correct. Wow. We must have been, what, 12, 13? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> we met while I was selling Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> when I was four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Over those many years and all over the, num- the the wonderful pieces that you've written over that time, I have seen you h- do battle with the wall, hitting the wall mm-hmm. um, with doubts and, and all of that. Um, is this piece you actually, in this piece you actually gave voice to the wall, your anxiety? Yes. Um, how... How do you deal with it, like, within the realm of, like, other pieces? How do you deal with that anxiety? You know, I, I cannot say that I identified it mm-hmm. in, my, in my other pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. I have some really funny pieces, as I think so, and some, <laughs> and some that are gut-wrenching, mm-hmm. um, like the horizontal mambo. Yeah. Um, Which is a little bit of both. 
Yeah, it's but a little I, bit but, funny. But to me, yeah. <laughs> um, and was I anxious as a sixteen-year-old? Mm-hmm. I don't think that I could identify it mm-hmm. as that. But in retrospect, those feelings mm-hmm. that would start to bubble up inside of me that I can still relate to. I go, oh, that's what that was, mm. and. I just don't think that everybody was able to identify it. You know, I had, uh, when I would first go to school, I had it. And I mm-hmm. thought everybody had that when they first started school. And if they had the right black and white composition notebook and pencil, number two pencil, that that feeling was going to go away. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. Hmm. So has naming your little bastard, Mm -hmm. giving him a little bit of employment, let Mm -hmm. him stretch his legs in front Mm -hmm. of all of your friends and neighbors, has it changed your opinion of the little bastard? Yes. Hmm. Yes. Um, In some odd way, it's a gift Mm -hmm. because it forces me to be in trust and be very present because the what ifs can go on forever and the what happens Mm -hmm. 10 minutes ago it doesn't make any sense to even go back and, and try to change it. It just, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's about the here and now, acknowledging the feelings that come up and go, oh, that's that. Mm-hmm. But not build this flurry around it and let it become bigger than it needs to be. Backseat position for a little master? That's correct, with some duct tape <laughs> over its mouth. And it does have a voice. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily my voice. You know, now I'm going to well, get carted away. <laughs> yes, she has voices in her head, and one is free-floating Frank, the anxiety man. <laughs> well, do you have any words of wisdom for any um, people out there, young up-and-comers or people who have maybe wanted to do this for their whole life and, and they haven't? found what it is that they need to give themselves permission to go? Is there anything that you would tell those people about taking this leap into this territory of expressing yourself and putting your spilkis into the world? Well, especially of recent, the past six years, Mm -hmm. um, having had a lot of loss Mm -hmm. in my life, I think everybody has to go for it. Mm-hmm. And whatever seems daunting is even more of a reason to kick yourself in the booty and try it mm-hmm. so there won't be any regrets. Mm-hmm. And um, if there's no regrets, anxiety has no power. That's really true. That's a spectacular piece of advice, Trudy Froelich. Thank you. Now I, I got to go. I'm feeling very anxious. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Truth. Love you so much. Bye, honey. That was so cute, you guys. Was that was it? great. That was, was really it? great. Yeah, you guys are so funny. <laughs> we are funny. Did I say that right? Did I say Spilkus? You said Spilkus perfectly. <laughs> We are the Townies, and we are back every other Tuesday with original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio and the Townies, Inc., and we are in the business of connecting people one story at a time. 
The Townies Podcast is produced by Lily Brown, Ken Arrows, and me. With studio engineering and mixing by Arrows Creative and Sound, the Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. Thank you to today's storytellers and music contributors, to every single donor, listener, supporter, to our board of directors, and to the people who inspire us and keep us moving forward. Molly Allison, Woody Brown, Cleo Charpentier, Patrick Lashley, Asa Larmanth, Olivia Lures, Amaury Sogrand, April Theriault, Marissa Oots, and so many more. This podcast is made possible in part by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai. And a big shout out to our corporate sponsor, Robobank. You can find out more about us and today's storytellers at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. Theodora Holt and I were um, at, at a, a really big fancy conference the other day, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and everybody was super mature and fancy except for us. And they were doing a big PowerPoint presentation, and they said, "Well, say what it is when you see it." Um, and they put up this big image of you know a football, a basketball, a golf ball, a baseball, and everybody in the room yelled "balls," <laughs> <laughs> and. Both Theodora and I were the only ones sitting right beside each other that laughed out loud really hard <laughs> in the room. And no one else thought it was funny. I definitely would have laughed. I would have laughed. I would have peed, probably. Balls. It was very, very, very funny. <laughs> and Theodora yeah. looks at me and she goes, apparently we're the seventh graders in the crowd. And I'm like, I think that's true.